You're listening to Save the Date, the number one podcast about all things wedding-y. I talk a lot about weddings. It's the theme of the whole podcast, but what about marriage? None of us engaged and married folk are actually planning to get divorced, I hope, unless you're running some sort of visa scam. Good luck to you if you are. But realistically, a bunch of us probably will. You probably don't want to be hearing this right now. You want me probably to talk about bunting and table manners and tableware, but tough titties. This is where we're going today, and I'm very excited about it. In this special two-part Save the Date Wedding podcast episodes, my beautiful guest therapist, Susan Pease Goodwar, I'm going to say it like that properly, Goodwar, and journalist Vicky Larson, she's going to correct me if I've said the names wrong, they have literally written the book on marriage and it is called The New I Do, Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists and Rebels. I've got it here. Listen to this beautiful book. Oh, it sounds nice. Welcome to the show, ladies. I'm sorry for ruining your names. (laughs) Thank you very much, Alicia. (laughs) Thank you, Alicia. (laughs) I'm so delighted to have you on the program. I've been reading lots of wonderful articles on HuffPost and BuzzFeed and all over the place. So now I have you to myself. It's great. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, where did this book come from? And how did it all, how did it all happen? Well, this is Susan and, um, it's it's a longer story than I'll go into, but basically I have been working with the divorcing population for many years, and I myself didn't get married until I was 43, and in both cases, people looked on those of us who didn't fit into the one-size-fits-all mold and said, what's wrong with you, or you're a failure, hmm. and I it got me thinking that the marriage model that we have currently is a very shame-based model. And I really wanted to try to make a statement about the fact that we need to change it and make it more open to a variety of different lifestyles and choices. And Vicki and I um, have crossed paths many times. We live near each other and we both write for Huffington Post. And and um, we decided to collaborate and I was so happy to invite her in on this project because she's got a wealth of her own experience personally and professionally. And, um, and we both really just set out to do a bunch of research on how is marriage changing and what needs to change further. And I'll let Vicki tell you her personal experience with that. Yeah. So I um, have been married and divorced twice. I got married the first time, um, a few months before my 21st birthday, so I didn't know what I was doing. So, of course, that marriage didn't last long. But the second one lasted for 14 years, and um didn't expect to get divorced, but I did. And then I had two children, um, so that was different than the first marriage. But people kept talking about my two failed marriages, mm. that there must be something wrong with me because I don't know what commitment is and I don't know how to commit. And it really got me thinking about, well, why is longevity the only marker of a successful marriage? So when Susan approached me with her experiences with divorcing couples, it really resonated and we we realized, wow, marriage really is changing. Um, so I was really delighted to be on the project, and it was so much fun to research. 
I just feel so connected to this book. I, I think it's it's fun. It's It's got so many different uh, avenues, which we're going to talk a lot about. But I've been highlighting. My little highlighter pen's gone nuts this last <laughs> week. <laughs> but I wanted to start. Actually, you just brought it up then, Vicky. I highlighted a quote that said, marriage doesn't have to be until death do us part until Marriage doesn't have to be an until death do us part agreement, which is still a contract with an expiration expiration date. Death, I like that. Marriage should be considered successful by what it's accomplished, not by how long it lasts. And that, I like double highlighted that because I just feel like we have this obsession with saying, well, we're going to get married and it's going to be forever. And that's bullshit. That's not, it's not realistic at all, is it? Well, it's actually um, in uh, the Pew uh, Research Center uh, here in the States uh, did a study, and in 2013, four out of every ten newlyweds had been married before, some twice before. So clearly, many of us don't make it last forever. And it is kind of odd that a marriage that lasts until death is considered successful even if it's an unhappy marriage and there's no love and there's no sex and maybe it's even full of contempt and anger. and You know, you have to go, well, all right, someone died. Yay, it was a success? What? <laughs> no, it's not success. Um, and um, so the idea to, to actually make it a purpose-driven marriage seems to make a lot more sense by what the couple decides um, success should be, what their marriage should be about. And and we live a lot longer. When Till Death Do Us Part was implemented, <laughs> it was the year 1215, and wow. we lived to 40 if we were lucky. Um, so that's one other aspect, and that we have so much more choice than ever before and, you know, we need to get rid of the you've made your bed, you have to lie in it mentality. Yeah, and I think you, you make a big point throughout the book that an unhappy marriage, especially when kids are introduced into it, you, people go, I'm going to stay married for the kids. You think actually that's probably doing in a lot of situations a lot more damage than what they think it is. That's what my parents did, and mm. I think that contributed to my not getting married for the first time until I was 43. Yeah. It was more a life sentence to be endured than a partnership to be enjoyed. Now, it, it was it Vicky, your mum, who took off to Florida? <laughs> yes, she did. Can you and, please um, regale my beautiful listeners about your mum's adventures? Because I was like, oh, this is great. It's really funny, but um, um, one day um, when my sister – my older sister and I were already in our 20s and out of the house. My mother um, decided that she had had enough and she bought herself a condo in Florida where my sister was living at the time and got herself a job at Elizabeth Arden mm -hmm. and went about creating a life for herself. And she lived apart from my dad for 10 years about um, and my dad at the time was still working so he wasn't ready to retire and we lived in New York and his mother was alive and he was taking care of her um, but once a, a month he would bring Teddy our little Yorkie um, in on the plane and he would spend a long weekend with my mom and um, they did that for a long time and uh, I 
I, I didn't question her at the time um, because I was in my 20s. I was self-absorbed. <laughs> but afterwards, I was like, Mom, what the heck was that about? And she said, well, I've had enough. And uh, they made it for 61 years. My dad eventually came down to join her. And um, I, she was living alone together. <laughs> yeah. Marriage is what they had. And um, it worked. It gave them both their freedom and connection. And so now I think of her a little bit as a rebel, really. <laughs> yeah, I did. I've read it and went, oh my God, if that's what you need to do and, and, and if that's what works, especially for your mum to just say one day, that's it, I'm moving. But yet they stayed together and managed to find some sort of balance. I think that's bloody amazing. If that's what works, do it. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that people just, <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, we're not so. <laughs> I'm out. Um, you should really have some conversations about that. <laughs> of course. Well, Alicia, you just mentioned something very important, I believe, and that is that we assume that we know what's best for other people by our, our single paradigm. Mm -hmm. And if somebody wants to live apart together or have an open marriage or just come together to be co-parents, who am I to say that that's not right? Because we do live in a world, and I think the first thing we just talked about just then was this idea that we judge. It's so judgy and so everyone's so concerned in everyone else's business. If everyone, this concept of a normal marriage is something you talk a lot about in the book. There's no such thing as a normal marriage, yet we sort of live under this weird umbrella of a normal marriage in society. It's, it's confusing, yet it makes total sense. Well, yeah, everyone has this mental image of what marriage, quote, unquote, should look like, right? Mm -hmm. Man, woman, house, kids, you know, minivan, oh, God. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm not man, man, man <laughs> a woman, woman. Um, if for people who, uh, you know, are much more broad-minded and accepting of, of same-sex couples, which we, you know, we are, I am certainly, um, uh, so it's really hard to think about it not looking that way, you know, and that's why we were hopeful that the book would show people that there are lots of ways to be a couple. And, and we didn't make up any of the marital models in the book. They are already happening and we wanted to normalize it, put it out there so people could go, oh, you know, I really like my independence. Maybe, you know, maybe a live apart together marriage is something that would really work for my spouse and me because we're both those kind of people. Marriage, as you said just then, it, it, Vicky just said, it's this idea that we are stuck on one form of marriage. We go, well, it's the picket fence. Everyone's happy. We're all living in one place. But we have evolved so much as a community and as a society, yet we are still stuck on this old this old yoldy view of marriage, what the hell are we going to have to do to change that? <laughs> well, I do believe the millennials are already making quite a statement by saying marriage isn't a priority for us anymore mm. and putting it off until they're older and more established. And I just believe that certainly with there are more gray divorces so the baby boomers are rejecting the paradigm of marriage as well or saying i don't need that to be happy i mean the reality is 
we do not need marriage in the ways that we have needed it. We don't need it to uh, have children. We don't need it for financial security anymore. And it doesn't have the same social status that it once did. And so I think it's just a matter of accepting that this is what we have evolved to. It's a good thing, I believe. It means that we're all stronger as individuals and we don't need the same banding together that we did in order to function. Mm. Certainly, I prefer being married to being single, but it's it's a preference. It's not something that I have to have in order to have a good life. One of my favorite questions that I ask a lot of my guests is, what do you think weddings or marriage, I suppose, in our terms as well, will be like in 50 years' time? Who knows, especially if we're all marrying four and five. it being a big commitment thing for life we'll say we're going to get married for two or three years and then I may marry someone else You know, even Margaret Mead in the in the 70s, she was a feminist, um, said, you know, a, a woman needs three husbands, one for youthful sex and passion, uh, a, a, the second one to raise kids with, and when that job is done, then she needs a third one for companionship later in life. And marriages kind of go that route anyway, you know, yeah. but, but, but there's... Um, is often with a lot of conflict because if you're marrying the, uh, the 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 sexual lover who you know lights your buttons, he might not be the best person to raise kids with. Mm. Quite honestly, he's good for one thing. So I think we will see more multiple marriages. I do think we'll see more monogamish marriages that are a little bit open. genes and uh here here's my physical uh description and it's it's funny and yet i think it's where we're headed
You know, millennials uh, have stated that they place a higher value on being a good parent than having a good marriage. And so, yeah, I, Susan and I agree that uh, we'll see more parenting marriages happening. And the world cannot, like, the world will be a much better place if that's the case. Again, I come from a divorced, you know, parents, and I think uh, if there's some sort of way to maintain a civil relationship without it all going to pot, uh, it's got to be better for kids. I agree. Mm. You know, there are a lot of uh, research studies out there that talk about what kids really need is a stable home where they know they're loved. They don't need their parents to be married, you know. So um, I think we are going to see that. Mm. We, most of my listeners, are planning a wedding. They're moving into that part of their life where everything is flowery and pretty and wonderful, which is great. And Mm -hmm. we've all, the three of us have all been there at some stage. So I suppose, like I said in the intro, a lot of people are listening now probably in complete denial, which is cool. Enjoy it. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> Denial's good. Denial can be sweet, sweet, sweet times. We don't want to burst their bubble. Of course not. And this is exactly what I was going to say. Hopefully people are listening will, well, I think buy the book because this is also such a good read. I've been married for three years and I sat there nodding through a lot of it. But also I, I have had in the past a relationship that didn't happen. I was engaged and it got called off and I am thankful that happened because it would have been, well, it would have been, it's, I suppose I consider it to be what you would call a starter marriage from that relationship. But looking at where my lovely listeners can and can place themselves now, what they can do to strengthen their unions. This is a very big, long question, but what can we do as in that stage of life where you're about to get hitched? Is it too late to change things? Can we start on an even plane? Well, first of all, I agree that they should read the book because we – Um, have people think about things that they probably wouldn't think about otherwise, including the concept of doing a prenuptial agreement where, yeah, um, and making it standard practice because what a prenup does is it gets people talking about some of the difficult things. um, And it's a way to set your intention for the marriage. When we interviewed couples who were going into, you know, they were engaged and they were about to be married we really were surprised by how little they had communicated about some important things like sex and having children and expectations around who would be the main breadwinner and things like that. So um, we just want people to have more conversations going in and more conversations throughout the marriage about what each wants from the marriage and from each other. I really like that, that chapter on prenuptial agreements because – I am going to be honest with you. I think of prenups as cash, and it's not. It's not at all. No, it doesn't it, have to be. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. And and actually, I I know we wrote prenup. I, I I've had a little change of heart since, and I I'd like to think of it more as a marital plan. Ooh. In that you actually ask your partner, you know, what do we want to do in our marriage? Like, where do we see ourselves in three or five years? What if um, someone wants to go back to school or what if someone gets a job offer, you know, across the country? 
whose job trumps whose, it starts getting couples really to like have a roadmap of some of the things that they would like to do in the next few years. And then they, then they can go back and revisit it and they can go, you know, how are we doing? Are we, have, are we accomplishing what we said we want to do? Have life circumstances changed where maybe now that plan doesn't work and we need to make adjustments? And it's not to say that you can plan everything in your future because we can't. Life throws all sorts of strange things at us that um, we can't ever possibly anticipate. But at least you've started, you have a baseline of certain hard conversations. And, you know, couples typically fight about, you know, mm-hmm. money, mm. kids, sex, um, household chores. Um, if we're trying to change society, if we're looking for more egalitarian marriages, which I'm imagining a lot of your certainly your younger um, listeners would like, then let's have some talk about those household chores and what's going to happen if we have kids and who's going to be responsible for what. Because that creates a lot of frustration and anger and resentments in a marriage. And why, let, why, why, even, why not try to nip them in the bud? It's really, I love the concept of the roadmap and I think it's vital for people to have that conversation because what, what is fabulous about all the chapters in your book is that it's full, filled with anecdotes from your, um, research. And there was one that just came to mind when you were talking about kids. I think a lot of people, when they get engaged and they say, we're going to get married and everything's going to be fine. But if you don't, say I don't think I want to have children or I want to wait five or ten years to have kids and the other partners sort of going hey 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 I thought just we assume I assume we were going to have a baby within the next six months that's when stuff really goes down it's it's all about being open and I know it sounds obvious but gee whiz people aren't really are they no no and I think what's happening is people are assuming well of course we're getting married to have children and I hate to tell you how many people I have come to see me because they're divorcing because they one wanted children and the other didn't and they didn't talk about it until after they were married wow you're yeah. right and, and and you know not even just talking about children but um, because people are marrying later we're seeing a lot of people who need to go through, um, in you know, IVF or yes, assisted yeah. reproduction, and that's a conversation that really should be had too. Um, should we, you know, freeze eggs and em- embryos or in sperm? Um, what if we have to do IVF? How you know, do we have the money to do that, or would we choose to adopt? And to really talk about that, and I know you don't really want to think about it because you just want everything to work out the way that we want it to work out. <laughs> that, that is reality, especially if you're getting married in your 30s. Um, and it's hard, though, because you go, I've got friends who are in their mid-30s who are going on Tinder dates but then going, working their back their biological clock by saying, okay, I need to meet a guy this year and then we'll have one year of a relationship and then I'll have a baby because my eggs are not going to be there anymore. And you go, well, you can't say all that in your Tinder profile. Jesus, it's not how it works. <laughs> That's right. No. But you can see it on a co-parenting website. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, 
I have a confession, Alicia. I want to tell you that um, in, so I'm a therapist. I work with divorcing people. My parents were divorced. And yet, um, right after I got married, a colleague of mine, we were at a conference and she said, well, why did you guys get married? I was 43 and he was 45 and we weren't going to have children. And I said, well, we love each other. And she said, yeah, but why did you get married? Mm. And I said, I don't know. It's just what you do. And that's not a good reason to go into the greatest commitment of your life and business contract. So I really had a rude awakening of how unconscious I had been in in marrying. Talking about <laughs> the fact that we need to to have some conversations about why we're marrying, what we're expecting, and take out a piece of paper and write out a roadmap. Yeah, and I feel like if you are hesitant about that, then then maybe that's a good signal that you're not quite on the same page. If you're not able to be open and have that conversation with your partner, then obviously that, not obviously, I hate using that, especially therapist here. You I can't say the word obviously, can we there, Susan? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's probably a warning sign internally that you're concerned about something. Uh, yeah, that's a great point. That is a great point. And, um, you know, having these kind of conversations, hard conversations sometimes might actually make you reassess the whole situation and it might get you out of a bad situation. And I hope that isn't, um, you know, true for your listeners, um, you know, the majority of them. Um, but um, it's, it's, it does kind of, you know, put you face to face with some tough stuff. And I don't want to say that you shouldn't go into, you know, plan your wedding with absolute joy and look forward to your marriage. Um, all of that is wonderful. Um, but if you don't want to end up divorced, you know, have that now. Uh, I, I remember that there was a, a, a book that came out. Um, we referenced it in our book. Um, and she heard from like 30% of the women she heard from knew when they were walking down the aisle that they were marrying the wrong person, um, which isn't fair to him. And I imagine that there are some men who are doing that too. But the thing is, well, we've been together so long or all the arrangements are made and I can't, you know, I can't stop it now. Mm, Mm. You really, you want to avoid that. You do. I think things, having canceled a wedding before in my past, I think, you know, everything can be returned Debts can be paid off, but it's it's so much better jumping out of something or having at least a bit of a pause than getting into something that's going to be hard to get out of. No question. Oh, my gosh. I am going to say we can talk all day, and we will, but we will do it next episode. <laughs> Susan and Vicky, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I guarantee if you read the new I Do, it will enlighten you and uh, give you something to have a bit of a chat with your partner about and also just open your mind a little bit more. Step outside that box. I'm really looking forward to the next episode with you lovely ladies. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Alicia.
and you hang out together and that's it. Now, Vicky and Susan don't see it that way. They think that there are lots of different avenues that you can take to make sure that you have a successful union and be open to new ideas about how to make that work. It's fascinating stuff and I'm really delighted to be able to bring that to you. If you would like more information about today's episode, visit savethedatepodcast.com. Make sure while you're there, you download the guide to getting hitched, my absolutely free wedding planning guide, 155 pages of wedding planning goodness. On Thursday, we have our normal Q&A episode, so send the questions. I love hearing from you. Even just say hello. I'm getting so many great emails just saying, I don't really have a question. I just want to say thank you and hello. I love that. Until next time, happy days. Save the date wedding podcast. Don't plan your wedding without it.